this time I do invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Once again, you'll find these passages printed on page 10. I'll be reading from several different passages, beginning with Luke chapter 11. And just a reminder that as we read, this is indeed the word of God. It's true forever. It's a life-giving, precious gift. And I pray that we will all receive it as such once again today. Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus also from Matthew 7, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then James, the brother of Jesus, in his epistle, chapter 4, said this, You do not have because you do not ask. From Hebrews chapter 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. From Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then also finally from Ephesians 6, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, two weeks ago, I began my sermon by saying that all believers everywhere share a common goal. We all want to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. What I didn't tell you at that time was that I was starting a new topical mini-series on how God makes that happen in our lives. How does God do that? We're going to take a few weeks to look at some of the gifts that God has given you to help you grow in your faith. Now, this will not be an exhaustive series. We will not cover everything. It's going to be a very Presbyterian and Reformed series, and I'll explain that in a moment. Some of you will know what I mean by that. But in some ways, this series is the fruit of some of my sabbatical reading and also a follow-up on one of the goals that we mentioned at last year's congregational meeting, that goal of discipleship. For we believe that we as a church are called to make disciples who make disciples. But how do we do that? What does that look like? And in answer to that question, Reformed Presbyterians have always placed a very high emphasis on the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. Now that might be a term that is new to some of you. So what do we mean by that term? The ordinary means of grace. Very simply, these are the ordinary 
are the normal, the typical, the usual ways that God works in his people to make them more like Jesus. Not the only ways, and that's why I said this won't be an exhaustive series. So it's not the only way, but it is the ordinary way. God has begun a good work in the lives of his people, and he has promised to complete that good work. He hasn't left that good work up to us. He's given gifts to us. Gifts that he will indeed use in our lives to bring that work to completion. So there are really truly things that you can do that God will work through in your life to make you more like Jesus. And if you neglect them, you will hinder your growth. What are those things, those means? Well, Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us Question 88, it asks that question, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? And the answer is this, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. The word, sacraments, and prayer. These are the ordinary means of grace that God uses in the lives of his people to communicate to us all the benefits of Christ's redeeming work to help us grow to be more like Jesus. So you might think of them as the ingredients that will be in the recipe for the growth of every believer. These are the staples that are in our kitchen, the word, sacraments, and prayer. Some may use more than others or in different ways, But these are the gifts from God that are common to the growth of all his children. Now, as a side note, this is just maybe an update for some of you. This is also one reason why I believe that God is giving our brother Andy Steyer a faithful and fruitful ministry. Our first pastoral intern here, he's now the pastor of Canal Salings Presbyterian Church in West Virginia. I've just talked to him recently, and they have a congregational meeting Next Sunday, where they're going to be voting to elect new elders and new deacons. We've been praying for that. But Andy has always been committed to the ordinary means of grace. And he gives himself to them, consistently teaching and preaching the word of God. Praying with and for his people. Administering the sacraments. Not chasing after every latest church church growth fad. The ordinary means of grace. Maybe think of it this way. I can give you another gardening illustration. If you want to grow carrots, what do you do? Well, a simple way to do is you get some carrot seeds. You dig a small hole in your garden. You cover them up. You water them. Hopefully you have it in a place where they're going to get some sun. And then you also make sure you keep Bugs Bunny out. That's the ordinary way to grow carrots. Now, if you do all of those things... Are you guaranteed carrots? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that sometime that summer, your wife will cook you a delicious roast with fresh potatoes and carrots from the garden? You don't. It's not a guarantee. You can do all that work in the garden and still come up empty. Why? Because ultimately, it's God who gives the growth. God must give the light from the sun, and God must give the increase. That is true in all things. We are always dependent on the grace of God, whether it is in our gardens or whether it is in our growth in grace. 
There's no guarantee. However, that is the normal way to grow carrots. And if you do that, you can expect you will probably have carrots. If Amy says, Troy, will you go out and, and uh, plant some carrots, grow some carrots? And I'd say, sure. And I come back in a minute later because I said, I'm trying something different this year. I'm just going to place the seeds on our table outside. I'll try that. I don't think that's going to go over very well. Are we going to have carrots? No. Well, could we? Well, I suppose God could send a wind, pick up the carrots off the table, drop them in the garden, another wind to cover them up, send the rain. That could happen. It's not likely to happen. God also could just change those seeds into carrots the next morning. That could happen, but that's not normally what happens. It's not very likely at all. And so in a similar way, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, God has given gifts to you. The word, prayer, sacraments. And the normal way for his people to grow is to regularly make use of these God-given means. And so if you do not devote yourself to them, can you expect to grow? It would be a little bit like just placing the pack of seeds on a table outside. You can't expect to grow. Now, I won't say no one ever could, that God doesn't also use other means. He does. Suffering being one of the primary ones, which we won't talk about in this series. But it would take an extraordinary work of God's grace for us to grow apart from the word, sacraments, and prayer. Thomas Vincent has a book on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And on this question, he says this, the ordinances are the most usual way and means of conversion and salvation without the use of which we cannot upon good ground expect that any benefit of redemption should be communicated to us. So we can't just expect that we will understand the gospel and grow in the gospel if we don't make use of the means God has given us. But it's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to be and stay devoted to these means of grace because they require trust in the Lord that he will do something we can't do. They require patience. They're not the newest, latest thing that grabs our attention. They don't provide instant gratification. A new you by Friday. That's not how they work. Instead, they require, as some have said, a long obedience in the same direction. Habits, patience, consistency over time, an ongoing trust in God to do as he's promised to do. And they also require participation in the local church. And so as we devote ourselves to these means that God himself has given to us, that he has provided, what will happen? He will be glorified. And we will enjoy him and we will be made more like his son. So two weeks ago, we started by looking at the word of God. Today, we'll look at prayer. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll consider the Lord's Supper. Two sacraments, Lord's Supper and baptism. I'm just going to focus on the Lord's Supper during this series as you often get to hear me talk about baptism when we have a covenant baptism here at Proclamation. But I read several passages on prayer this morning. This topical series, we're pulling from various passages throughout the scriptures and we want to reference those as this morning I simply asked four questions about prayer. First, what is prayer? Second, why pray? Third, how pray? And then finally, what if I don't pray? So we begin, what is prayer? And very simply put, 
prayer is talking to God. When our kids were little and we would travel in the car or maybe even at, the, at home, we, we'd love to play music that would reinforce what we were teaching. And we had this one CD and it had these words on the one song that said, I can talk to Jesus. He hears me when I pray. I can talk to Jesus every day. And that's a very simple definition. Prayer is talking to God. A simple definition, but an amazing, incredible truth. You, beloved, no matter how old, how young you are, you can talk to God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And we might want to just let that sink in. Even as we go to pray, we might want to just pause briefly for a moment to remember what we're doing, that we are talking to God Almighty, the triune God. And just reflect on that for a moment before we just maybe rush into speaking. Who are we talking to? And he listens. So prayer is talking to God. And prayer is what Christians all over the world do. But prayer is so much more than that. It's more than something that we simply do. If that's the only way we think about prayer, as something that we do, then our sole focus will be on practical tips. And the whole sermon would just be about do this, do this, this is helpful, this is not helpful. That would be our sole focus. What can we do to do it more? What can we do to do it better? So we'd say maybe make a list, have a time, have a place, maybe use a prayer app. Those things can be helpful. And they may be necessary, but you can get all that right and still get prayer wrong. You can get all the doing right and miss the heart of prayer. Matthew 15, Jesus rebuked the religious teachers of his day. He said, this people honors me with their lips. So they could pray with the best of them. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So prayer is talking to God, but it's more than simply talking to God, more than just something that we do. John Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. Chief exercise of faith. So rightly understood in the heart, not just words on our lips. What is prayer? It's the expression of our need, of our humility, of our trust in the Lord, of our love for the Lord. It's really an expression of faith. When we pray, we're trusting in the Lord. We are believing God. Prayer is talking to God, and yet it's so much more. And here, perhaps, might be the main takeaway, the key point from this sermon this morning on prayer. And I would say it's this. Prayer is not primarily an activity you do. It is that, but it's not primarily an activity you do, but a relationship you enjoy. A relationship you enjoy. Prayer, beloved, is communion with the real, living, present, triune God. And through prayer, Jesus invites us to enjoy the relationship he has always enjoyed with his Father. That's what we enter into when we pray. Jesus bringing into the love and fellowship of the family. He invites us to relate to his Father as our Father. Not distant, but near. In Luke 11, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, this was his first lesson. You hear those words? We say them together every Sunday. Jesus said, when you pray, say, 
Father. Father. So prayer is relating to God as our Father. And the better we understand this, I believe, the more we will actually pray. The more we will enjoy God. Second question, why pray? I'll give you five reasons this morning. I'm sure you could come up with at least five more. But why pray? First, we pray to enjoy God. We pray to enjoy God. Remember, prayer is not primarily an activity we do, but a relationship we enjoy. And through prayer, Jesus himself is inviting us into this relationship that he's always enjoyed with his Father, bringing us into the love and fellowship of the family. C.S. Lewis said, prayer, in the, sen- in the sense of petition, asking God for things, that's just a small part of prayer. He went on to say, confession and Penitence are its threshold, or you might say its entry point. Adoration, when we praise God for who he is, adoration is its sanctuary, the holy place, the place of worship. But then he said this, the presence and vision and enjoyment of God, it's bread and wine. It's a wonderful way to think about prayer. The presence, the vision, the enjoyment of God, the bread and wine. We pray to enjoy Second, we pray because Jesus makes prayer possible. And he modeled prayer and he expects us to pray. Jesus makes prayer possible because he is the one mediator between God and man. Jesus is the one and the only one who can make us acceptable and pleasing in his Father's sight. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 59 says this, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you, from him, so that he does not hear. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to describe the wickedness and the sin of the people. So the sin of the people turns God's face away so that he does not hear them. But then the chapter has this word of hope at the end. The prophet says, a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And beloved, we know that Jesus is this promised Redeemer who came. He lived and died and he rose again so that our sins could be forgiven. So God's face could be turned towards us. So that his ear would be attentive to our every cry. And so we pray because Jesus has made it possible for us to pray. The only way that you can pray and expect that God would hear and answer is if you go to this holy God through his beloved son. And then you are welcomed as his own son, his own daughter. Jesus brings you with him before his father as you are united to Jesus by faith. So Jesus makes prayer possible. Jesus also modeled prayer. In Luke chapter 5, we read this. Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus lived this life of prayer. If we want to be like Jesus, then the enjoyment of prayer will be a regular part of our lives as well. And Jesus also expects us to pray. Did you hear that, that word when the disciples came to Jesus? They said, teach us to pray. What did he say in Luke chapter 11? He said, when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. So we pray because Jesus makes it possible. He modeled it. He expects it. Third, we pray because God hears us when we pray. And I wonder if we really believe that this morning. God hears us when we pray. 
Does the listening ear of your Father in heaven encourage you to pray? Does it give you that confidence to draw near? In Exodus chapter 2, Moses writes, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And we know what God did in response to that. Rescued, delivered his people from slavery. But beloved, God Almighty hears you when you pray. Do you believe that? In Jeremiah 29, the prophet says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. God hears you when you pray. Do you believe that? John writes in 1 John 5, And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears you when you pray. Do you believe that? I could take the whole sermon this morning, just different passages all throughout the scriptures that repeat this truth to us. God hears us. May that amazing truth that the almighty triune God, creator of heaven and earth, who rules over everything, every heart is in his hand, every event at his disposal. When you pray, that God hears you. His ears are attentive to your cry. Fourth, why pray? Pray because prayer changes you, changes others, and it changes the world. Pray because prayer changes you, it changes others, and it changes the world. Pray pray because it makes a difference. Pray because it matters that you pray. Now, that language might make some of you Reformed Presbyterians uncomfortable. So I can say it like this. Pray because God works through prayer to change you, others, and the world. But it really makes a difference. Yes, we firmly believe God is sovereign over all things, that he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. But God has ordained not only the ends, the actual events of our lives, of all the kingdoms on earth, he has also ordained the means, how those things come to pass, every cause and effect in the world. One pastor says it like this, God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, has ordained that prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you did not pray. What did James, the brother of Jesus, say? You do not have because you do not ask. It doesn't mean you would have anyway, even if you didn't ask, because God has a plan, because God is sovereign. What does it mean? It means you have because you asked, because God planned that you would ask, and that he would give in response to your asking. So God uses prayer to cause things to happen that would not happen if you did not pray. I wonder if we believe that. I wonder how, if we truly believe that, it would impact our prayers. Now, keep that in mind. Prayer changes you, others, and the world. God works through prayer. He plans that we'll pray and that it will bring about his purposes. Keep that in mind with what Jesus then says in Matthew 7. 
ask and it will be given to you. So Jesus is encouraging us to pray, to ask. And then he uses this powerful illustration. Why? Because he wants us to believe it. He wants us to believe that it's true. This amazing encouragement he's giving us. What he's teaching us about prayer. You can ask and it will be given to you. He wants us to believe that and he wants it to encourage us to actually act on it. So he says, listen, you, call, you all can understand this. If your son asks you for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, beloved, God gives good gifts in response to our requests. And so we ask, we pray. What good gifts, what good things might God be planning to do, but only in response to our prayers? As he wants us to come to him, he enjoys that relationship with us, and it's, it's an acknowledgement of our dependence upon him, that we need him. Fifth, we pray because God commands us to pray. Now, this could have been, maybe should have been, our first reason to pray. And if it was our first reason, it would be reason enough. God commands us to pray, and we are to do what he commands. But I put it last, certainly not because it's last in importance, by no mean. You might even say it's most important. But I put it last because I wanted to follow up on those other reasons to pray to help us see that what God commands for us is for our good. It's a blessing. His commands are for our good. And obedience to his commands not only glorifies him, but it blesses us. God commands us to pray because he loves us. Colossians 4, Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer. Or another English translation says, be devoted to prayer. Being devoted to prayer, beloved, is a matter of obedience to God. Do we see it that way? Prayer is not an optional activity for the believer. It's a tremendous privilege, but it's also a command. Be devoted to prayer. Are you obeying God by making use of the gift of prayer? And so this brings us to our third question. How pray? How pray? And again, these are some of the just basics this morning. But foundational to knowing how to pray is first and foremost making sure that you can pray. If you want to know how to pray, first you have to know that you can pray. And that means you have to make sure you come to God through Jesus. Prayer is a privilege for the blood-bought people of God. Not just anyone can draw near to the Holy God. If you try to draw near to the Holy God apart from Christ, you'll be consumed because of your sin. So you must come to God through Jesus. We heard this in our Pass the Peace passage this morning. Ephesians 2.18, we're told through Christ, we have access. Through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. 
Hebrews 4 tells us it's because Jesus is our great high priest that we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. So the first answer to how pray is this. Be sure you can pray. Trust in Jesus. That's the only way you can pray is through Jesus. But as we come to God through Jesus, how are we to pray? How are we to pray? And I will say it this way. Anytime and anywhere or all the time and everywhere. Anytime and anywhere or all the time and everywhere. Hear this repeated encouragement from Paul. Ephesians 6, praying at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, be constant in prayer. Anytime, anywhere, all the time, everywhere. Now to do that, it may help to have regular patterns in your life, regular times and places that you pray. Luke told us Jesus often withdrew to pray. This was the practice of his life. He would often go at times and places to pray. Uh, You might remember Daniel in the Old Testament. Three times a day, he would have a set time and place to go and pray. And it's because the king's men knew that he did that, that he got into trouble. And just a little teaser, Daniel, Lord willing, will be the next book that we study. So we finish this series, we'll go to Daniel. So start reading Daniel and praying for me because it's a hard book to understand. We're looking forward to that study. But Jesus, Daniel, people throughout the scriptures, they had regular times and places. It's also said God's God's people have done this all throughout their history, had set times and places where they would pray. It's said that early African converts to Christianity were indeed earnest and regular in their private prayer, and each one reportedly had this separate spot in the thicket where they would go to be alone and enjoy prayer and communion with God, so much so that if they neglected to go to pray for a while, uh, some of their friends would, uh, would uh, gently encourage them by saying, brother, the grass grows on your path. They could see whether or not they had been going off to pray. Do we need that encouragement today? It can be good, it can be helpful to have regular, planned, solitary times of prayer. Here at Proclamation, we encourage you. We have two ways you can do that. These are simple ways, and they won't work for every one of you. They're not commands from God. You must pray in this way. But they can be aids to prayer. So we're very thankful for our women's ministry and all that they are doing to encourage the women of our church to help make disciples who make disciples. And once again this year, they're having a prayer ministry, a prayer partner ministry, where women volunteer and say, I'm willing, I want to pray for other women in the church. What a wonderful ministry. I would encourage you women to consider being part of that ministry. Men, every Friday morning, 6.45 a.m., we meet at the church office to pray. I know that doesn't work for many of you because of your schedules, but if it does, we'd love to have you join us. That has proven to be, we've done that from the very beginning. Even before we were meeting for gathered worship, we started that. And over the last seven years or so, nearly every Friday morning, it's been my joy and my privilege to gather together with beloved men from this church to pray together for one another, with one another, and for our church. Those are two ways, but there are many others, and there might be other ways that work better for you. So we have those set times, but we also pray on the go 
anytime, anywhere. And prayers don't have to be long, right? Maybe we need to change the way we think about prayer. Thank you. Forgive me. Help. I love you. Those are all prayers. And you can say that all throughout the day, over and over again. And God Almighty hears you and will answer. To pray at all times is to enjoy an ongoing fellowship with God throughout the day. It's really a simple awareness that every moment of every day, wherever you are, God is there. Including right now in this space. We live in the presence of the holy God. It's that phrase, Coram Deo, before the face of God. What a privilege. That's how we live our lives, before the face of God. This idea was promoted by Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk. He wrote a book on it called Practicing the Presence of God. And he said this in that book, Whatever I do, whether it's washing dishes, which you might think is some menial task that just needs to be done, you might not even like doing it, whether it's washing the dishes or leading a Bible study, Something that we normally say, oh, that's definitely a spiritual activity. The other one, maybe not so much. We need to remove those distinctions, don't we? He said, whatever I do, whether it's washing the dishes or leading a Bible study or whatever, I do it with an awareness that God is with me, sees me, loves me, listens to me, and can help me. Beloved, what a tremendous privilege for the child of God. We can pray anytime and anywhere, all the time and everywhere. We can, but do we? We probably all would admit that we can grow in this area. And so I want to bring our last question before you. Invite you to do some honest self-assessment. What if I don't pray? And I will give you a few reasons that might be behind that, but I would just encourage you, maybe take some time today. Maybe as we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, or maybe when you're home, a good Sabbath day activity would be just to ask the Holy Spirit, get your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can grow in prayer, or maybe reveal to your heart the reasons why you might not pray. What is your prayer life actually like? Well, just a few that might spur you on to continue this activity. One reason that you may not pray as much as you would like if you're honest, it's maybe you don't really want to pray. Maybe you don't want to spend time with God. You don't enjoy it. And if that's the case, you may need a new sight of the glory of Jesus to reawaken faith and to turn your affections to your Savior once again. But again, that doesn't just normally happen on its own. Now, God can do that, and he does do that. But often, how does he do that? He, he works that in you. How? As you turn your attention, your affections away from something else that has them captured, and you turn them again back to the glory of your Savior, which you can see most clearly in the Word of God. You behold it in gathered worship. You can behold it in creation. But you turn to him. And as you pray, or maybe somebody prays for you, Lord, show me your glory. Give me that fresh vision to awaken faith once again. Or maybe you think you don't have time to pray. 
that may or may not be true to various degrees in our lives at various times. But if we really think, I don't have time to pray, could that be a sign of an independent spirit or a sign of pride? Perhaps you don't truly believe that you need God. Or maybe you don't truly believe that God works through prayer. Or maybe you lack motivation. And you can go days, weeks, where prayerlessness is the norm. You can't even remember the last time you prayed outside of a gathered worship. Could it be, if that's the case in your life, that you doubt this truly is your father's world? That God really is in control? That it makes a difference if you pray or not? One pastor wrote these words, Prayerlessness is abandoning ourselves either to fate or worse, to ourselves. No wonder we find life stressful when prayer dries up. Prayer is recapturing a Christ-centered worldview in which we celebrate again his loving rule. What a great way to think about prayer. Recapturing a Christ-centered worldview. This is my Father's world in which we celebrate again his loving rule. Problems might not go away. There's no guarantee your problems are going to go away, but what's going to happen? You will regain a God-ordained perspective, and you will change. Beloved, prayer is a gift from God to help us grow, to help us enjoy fellowship with our loving Heavenly Father. The psalmist says in Psalm 148, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And so I want to close by drawing near. Together, may we draw near to our great God. I want to give you one practical tip that has greatly helped me in praying the scriptures, and then I want us to do it together. So again, Paul says in Ephesians 6.18 that we are to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. We pray in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit himself helps us when we don't know what to pray. He intercedes for us, and then he also gives words to our prayers. And we pray according to the word of God. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit helps us, and we also pray according to the word of God as the Spirit brings God's truth to mind. So I would encourage you, if you're struggling in prayer, or if you've never done this before, to pray according to the word of God. You can use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. It's printed in your worship guide every week. You can open up the Bible, and read it from the scriptures. You can pray according to the different passages that we print each week in our worship guide. And I would encourage you to consider, just as a simple aid to prayer, the three R's. I shared this over our Zoom last week. The three R's, rejoice, repent, and request. Rejoice, repent, request. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 98, asks the question, what is prayer? And the answer is this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And if you take that in reverse order, you can sum it up by those three R words. Rejoice, repent, request. Thankful acknowledgement of his mercies when we pray. We give thankful acknowledgement to the Lord for his mercies. We praise him for who he is. We thank him for what he's done. So it's a great way to begin your prayers, by rejoicing. Moving on, offering up our desire, or confessing our sins, we repent. And then finally, offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to his will, we bring our requests to him.
So rejoice, repent, request. And you can do that with any passage of Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do right now. You're welcome to, if you want, to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. That's the prayer that is, the passage that is printed in our passage this morning, in our worship guide this morning, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And I'm going to lead us in our pastoral prayer. As always, I always invite you to pray along with me in the quietness of your own hearts and minds. But this morning, I'm going to try to be even more intentional of using that passage, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, to guide me as I pray for some of these things listed on page 12 and just go through that rejoice, repent, request, rid. I'll begin actually by reading that passage and then we'll go to prayer. So Colossians 1, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together.